Well, last week we started this uh, series that we're calling All About Love, and we read a little bit from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'd like to read a few of the verses we read last week, verses 1 through 3, but, but focusing largely on verse 8 this time. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy or can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then we jump down to verse 8, which is the theme for this morning. Love never fails. God, we ask that you would open our eyes to see what you would want us to see in your word today and to test out this principle. I also pray that in the course of working through this biblical material over the next several weeks, that you will increase our capacity as a local church to be more loving toward each other, toward our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers, and in the homes where we live. So give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we move on, this is July 4th weekend, and we're grateful for the freedoms that we have, and I want you to watch this. We walk within it. Most of us unaware of it, holding fast to it nonetheless, as we breathe its air and take in its beauty as we work its land and cultivate its commerce. We create in it, laugh in it, dance in it, raise our families in it, kneel and pray for it. But here, <laughs> here is the day where we stop and look at it, really look at it. We light up the sky for it, wave our flags with a special kind of joy, gather our neighbors and loved ones, and let freedom ring. Over the mountains we climb, through the neighborhoods where we live our lives, and into the night sky that watches it all, we celebrate our freedom and press on to perfect the process of democracy. Our democracy. With every hearty handshake and every bright firework and each prayer of thanks to God for all of it, we continue to pursue the protection of life. We keep protecting the hard-fought liberty. Out of many, we have become one. So we're focused on one half of a verse, a very short few words, love never fails. In July of 1967, the Beatles released a single which would soon become Britain's contribution to the world's first live global television link. It was a program called Our World. The song was written by John Lennon and was titled, All You Need Is Love. 
And it was heard and viewed by more than 400 million people that day in 25 countries. It quickly went on to be number one on the British and U.S. charts as well as several other countries. And then the song was later included on the Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour album, giving it even more airplay. Now, it's interesting that some rock historians at the time viewed All You Need Is Love as naive. But since that time, rock historians remember this as the anthem of 1967's Summer of Love. It emphasized a simple philosophy found in the repetitive line, love is all you need, love is all you need. More than 50 years later, the question is, does that piece of wisdom or philosophy still stand up in our day? Is love all we need? Maybe you could ask that different ways. Does love fill all of its promises? Does love never let you down? Is love truly all we need? Tell that to a friend who comes to you for comfort when a spouse leaves and breaks up a marriage. Oh, love is all you need. Tell that to the person who loves God but is unfairly crushed by the broken systems of our courts. Tell that to the person who suffered abuse from a family member and seems unable to trust or to love again. Instead, recoils and draws in. Yet the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. So here's the question that I have this morning, and it's the question I think that, that lingers underneath this statement. In this world of broken promises and broken hopes, can we really believe that love doesn't fail. I bring all this up today because we're in part two of our All About Love series. For the rest of the summer, we're going to look at several ways that the Bible talks about love. We will look at this topic of love from a variety of different angles. And my hope is that those who stay with us throughout most of this series will come away with a deeper, more developed understanding of the love of God that we find in Jesus and the love of God that is imparted to those who follow Jesus day in and day out. So good morning and welcome to North River. I have loved singing with you and offering praise to you, to, to God today and, and celebrating communion with you. If you happen to be watching online this week, I'm very glad that you have taken the time and you've found the link and that you've joined us. My hope is that you're doing more than watching Sing along with us, pray with us, respond in the online chat, or, or send us a note through, by your email or, or, a, or a letter letting us know what all this means to you. Some of you who are online are checking us out perhaps for the first time this morning, and so I want you to know I'm really glad that you're doing that. Go ahead and kick the tires, ask questions, think deeply about Jesus, and move in His direction. Let's dive in. Our topic this morning is... Love never fails. So that question is lingering before us. Does love never fail? Last week I, I mentioned that we are opening this part of the series by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is known as the love chapter in the New Testament. I'm not going to rehash that message for you here right now, but if you missed it, it would be worth finding that on our website and watching. You can go to northriverchurch.org forward slash messages and you can catch up with where we're at right now. The Apostle Paul's thoughts about love are so important that they interrupt Paul's most thorough discussion, the Bible's most thorough discussion, about the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Those come in chapter 14, uh, 12 and 14 surrounding this statement about love. But Paul wanted to grab our attention and talk about love. 
Here's the first discovery from this verse today. Some, th- some really good things fail without love. That is part of the context that he is providing for us here. Notice that I read the first three verses of the chapter to start off. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, just a lot of noise. If I have the gift of prophecy or can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Remember that Paul was in the midst of this discussion of spiritual gifts. And so he's telling us that speaking in supernatural tongues will fail without love. And prophecy fails without love. Great amounts of knowledge, even knowledge about God and the Bible and theology, fail if we don't have love that matches it and that empowers it. Mountain-moving faith, the greatest faith you've ever seen in any individual without love is worth nothing according to the Bible. Great acts of self-sacrifice are meaningless unless they are empowered by and accompanied by love. That also means that love is the secret sauce that makes everything better. Using your spiritual gift will be enhanced when you bathe in that love. Your faith as a whole will be more effective when combined with that kind of love. Take away love, though, and all talent and all giftedness will fall short and ultimately fail. Here's the second discovery we make. This love of a divine kind takes all other loves to a higher level. So Paul writes in verse 8, love never fails. It's the one thing that he says about all of the contributions we make in love. It's in life. It is love that never fails. In part one, I mentioned that the New Testament writers had four Greek words to choose from when they're writing this passage. They could have chosen the, the word philos, which speaks of a brotherly love, the love we have for friends that you and I have for each other. Or storge, which is that fierce parental protective love. Think of the, the mother of a newborn child. There's eros, which is romantic or sexual love, which is very powerful, often corrupted, but wonderful at the same time. But the word they used was agape, a word that had gone out of use. It came from classical Greek and from years past. This was a word that had fallen out of use by the time the New Testament was written. So Paul and the New Testament writers grab a hold of it and they pump it full of new meaning. When they used it, they referred to a higher form of love that comes from God himself, that comes from outside of ourselves and is poured into us. It's a love of a divine kind. And this is the love that Paul was describing here. This agape love comes to us from God. Now, notice something that's really important. I've given you this list of of four different words for love or four different variations of love. The first three are all created by God and are all good. Brotherly love or friendship love is something that we all need and depend on. Parental love is one of the most powerful forces at work within the human race. Erotic A romantic love causes us to write poetry, sing songs, and celebrate. All three can also be corrupted or abused and will at times let us down. The betrayal of a close friend is something most of us endure somewhere in life. And that kind of loss can be absolutely crushing. The abuse or withdrawal of parental love can wound us for a lifetime. 
when romantic love fails. Those love songs turn into country music. Okay, not just country, but all kinds of music. So Adele sings, Go Easy On Me. Blake Shelton sings, Every Time I Hear That Song, and the memories come back. Taylor Swift adds, And I know it's long gone, that magic's not here no more, and I might be okay, but I'm not fine at all. Or Dolly Parton sees heartbreak on the horizon when she sings her classic, Jolene, because somebody's out to take her man. The good news is that God's agape love can transform each of these other variations of love. Brotherly love, friendship love, empowered by the love of a divine kind, refreshes the soul. There's something about having that close friend and confidant that allows you to be buoyed in your hopes and to have your faith strengthened and to know that you're, you're walking side by side with somebody who shares your passions and your commitment to life. And it gets a whole lot easier when you're trying to live out your faith alongside of somebody else. Parental love shot through and through with love of a divine kind heals the generations. Erotic or romantic love infused with love from above ties souls together for life. There's something wonderful about going through life with a spouse who shares the same love and the same commitments that you have and that pushes you to higher levels. This love of a divine kind takes every other form of love that we can know to a higher level when we bring God's love into it, when he is pouring it into us and then we're able to pour it out to others. And then here's the third discovery. Love never fails is one of the grand themes of the Bible. It may only show up in, in these three words, love never fails, quoted one time in all of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, 8. But the reason that Paul can write it is because that grand theme is laced throughout the Scriptures. I'd like to spend the time that I have remaining showing you just a handful of ways that this theme shows up in Scripture. In Psalm 136, we find this theme, His love endures forever. So the psalm writer here writes what's called an antiphonal psalm. There are a number of lines, and there's an opening statement, and then there's a second line that always follows it in every single verse for all 26 verses of the psalm. The second line is always, His love endures forever. It's called an antiphonal sound because it means that there were different sounds in the room. So most likely what happened was that the choir director or the worship director back in the temple in Israel would have a reader who would, who would stand off on one side of the room and have essentially a, a verbal choir on the other side. And so the reader would start with the first line, and, and the first line of each of these verses is different. Uh, verse 1 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then the choir would shout, his love endures forever. And then there'd be another thing to praise God for, his love endures forever. And this would go back and forth, resounding across the room, so that it would stay in your memory all week long. That was the, the impact of it. That means, that means that this was read and even shouted in the worship center. When Jeremiah announced that Jerusalem would fall, the people of the southern kingdom of Judah, the last remaining part of Israel, were shocked. They didn't believe it. They thought that we have God's blessing forever. 
And then in Jeremiah 31, verses 3 and 4, we find these words from Jeremiah. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again. The people of Judah, the only remaining kingdom of Israel, had turned their backs on God at this point in history. They did this by worshiping the gods and the idols of the nations around them. They had even brought idols into the temple so that they could usurp God's place. And so the Lord announced through the prophet Jeremiah that the nation would be destroyed. They had broken their covenant with God and God was no longer bound to keep the promise in the same way that he had before And he tells them that the nation of Babylon would soon come and they would have a siege around the city and eventually they would destroy the city and they would carry off the people to the land of Babylon. Yet even here, before it happens, God remembers his promises from the past. And he tells them that he has loved them with an everlasting love. And even though he was bringing his corrective judgment into the world and upon them as a nation at that time by taking away their protection... He would not stop loving them. And he would call them back from Babylon and he would build them back up. Those of you who read the Old Testament, you know that God came through with that promise. In the days of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was leading essentially an army of craftsmen who came back to the city of Jerusalem and they built up the walls so there was protection. And then people began to come back and repopulate the city. And the city of Jerusalem and the kingdom of Israel grew back to a healthier level again and they called on God in new ways. Here's a third example. How about the death of Lazarus? John tells us earlier in the chapter, uh, John chapter 11, that Jesus had delayed after receiving news that his friend Lazarus was sick. This seemed curious, but he continued teaching where he was for two more days. And then it took two additional days of travel before they got to Bethany, Lazarus' hometown. This is what it says in John 11, starting with verse 40. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jump ahead a little bit farther. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. The only explanation that Jesus gave for his delay was he says, this sickness will not end in death. And then he adds another statement. It is for God's glory so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. So the question comes, was this a failure of God's love in Jesus? Jesus knew he had the power to heal Lazarus, yet he delayed for what became a total of four days Two days of teaching, two days of travel. By the time he gets there, he finds that Lazarus has already been in the tomb and it's the fourth day that he's in the tomb. His sister, one of Jesus' close friends, meets him there and she says, Jesus, if only you had come, my brother would not have died. She is wondering, did Jesus' love fail? Did God's love fail in this moment? Jesus knew all this, yet let Lazarus die while he carried on with his speaking mission. Yet the end result was that Lazarus is still talked about today. In every Easter season, 
In the warm-up, in the run-up to Easter, we read those stories about the resurrection of Lazarus. And everybody around their little village and all the way into Jerusalem was talking about Lazarus as Jesus came for that Holy Week. We marvel at how Jesus brought him back to life by God's power and about how this revealed Jesus' power over life and death. No, this was not a failure of God's love. This demonstrated how God's power and love can transform even death itself on our behalf. And then there's one more section that I'll bring to your attention. In Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ. Romans 8, 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the love that never fails. It is the love of God that we find in Jesus. It is a love that has been sung about and has prompted praise to God for thousands of years. It is a love that transcends seasons of rebellion. It is a love that triumphs over death. It is a love that allows people even to die with their hopes, not seeing all of their promises fulfilled, knowing that the Savior will return. And in the right time, he will turn things around in this world. And that he rewards those who die in faith in the kingdom of heaven. Here the Apostle Paul, who was facing possible execution, offers his own conclusion. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. So if you ever wonder, how was it that the apostles all went to violent deaths with the exception of John, and how did Paul go through that? It was this way because they knew the profound love of God in Jesus And they knew that nothing could separate them from that love and that even death itself only brought them into the presence of the Lord himself. If you haven't done so already, I'm going to give you an opportunity to take hold of that love in just a moment. But here's the big idea that we are tracing. Because God's love never fails, our love can grow richer. And because God's love is found in Jesus, we can trust in him. This is the love that never fails. It is the love of Jesus. Love of people can fail you. Love of pastors can fail you. The love from a church back to the pastor can fail us. Love within a family can at times fail you. But there is one love that will never let you down. It's the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so the question is, will you hold on to this love for dear life? There's only one love that never fails. It is possible that you are skeptical, skeptical because someone else has let you down. Pain does that. Yet that experience does not have to hold us hostage forever. It is also possible that shame keeps you away from believing that you are worth loving. But the one love that never fails is the love of God we find in Jesus who sees you as worthwhile. Despite our tendencies to negotiate and to make God accept our terms, God invites us to come to him on his terms, just as you are, without having to fix yourself first. His terms are simple and clear. He asks you to put your trust in Jesus. He asks you to turn from whatever sins hold you back. And that just means making the pivot, making the turn. 
This doesn't mean that you have to perfect yourself first. It means you surrender to his wisdom, to his way, and trust that he will show you how. Jesus promises that if you acknowledge him before people, he will acknowledge you before his Father in heaven and before the angels. You will be forgiven by God, no questions asked. You will be adopted as God's very own child into his family forever. You will be given God's Holy Spirit to walk with you and guide you daily. You will be empowered for serving God, his people, and the world around you, and you will make a difference. And you will be directed to get baptized, declaring to the world that you are a new creature in Christ. All of this for trusting in Jesus as the Savior from your sins. So here's my question. Are you ready? Who's ready? Because God's love never fails. Our love can go richer. Because God's love is found in Jesus, we can trust in him. So I'm wondering if there are some here today who have not yet taken that step of clearly and decisively putting your faith and trust in Jesus. I'm going to invite you to do that right now as we read a commitment prayer together. And if you're online, you can do this wherever you are as well. If you mean it in your heart and mind, God hears it. You are different by the time we end this prayer. I wonder if you'd do this with me. Jesus, today I embrace you as my Savior. I am placing my faith and trust in you. I will turn from whatever dishonors you. Help me to serve you with all my heart. Amen. God, I pray that you'll not only hear the prayer of somebody who may be saying that for the first time and making that commitment to you, but that you will hear all of our pleas, that you will pour your love out onto your people here and wherever Christians gather around the world no matter what kind of mess they're in or whether they're in a day of great joy. We pray as well that you will allow your love to flow into us so much that it also flows out of us and that it showers everyone who's around us, that they would know that there's something different in us, not because we are great, but because your love is so great. So Lord, pour out your love and mercy on your people, even us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.